piece on Luke. So let's please turn to uh, Luke 17. I'm going to read to you from verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back (coughs) praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So we're looking at this passage and I have to confess that when I first uh, realised that I was going to be preaching from this passage, I thought to myself, I've spoken about this uh, passage at school assemblies, I've spoken about this with children over the years, um, and I thought it's a little bit obvious you know, the whole lesson of being grateful and the importance of gratitude. And I thought, is there anything more to it than that? I mean, it feels a little bit kind of samey. I've already spoken about that in the past, the importance of gratitude. And, and gratitude is, of course, an important thing. Um, Kent Hughes describes uh, Generation X, and I'd like to know, I might read this out at Vance tonight, I'd like to know whether whether young people think this is fair or completely unfair of uh, uh, this generation. But um, he says this, in an American context, it is true today that never have people had so much and been so ungrateful. Consider the typical Ivy League sophomore. From birth, he has lacked nothing. He has had loving, doting parents and grandparents, the best in medical care, music lessons, tennis lessons, family vacations, summer sailing school, trendy wardrobes, religious instruction, European educational experiences, special work experiences, distinctive cars, credit cards, and yet he he is an angry, ungrateful, depressed, poor me. He appreciates nothing. He regards his family as a nuisance. He focuses on shortcomings and slights in his upbringing, holding on to grudges with a death grip. It never occurs to him that some of his happy friends have had it rougher than he. So he describes this ungratefulness, this lack of gratitude. And we could draw the point from this passage about the importance of gratitude. Could you just turn that tiny bit? Thanks very much. Um, We could look at this, and and it is a fair point. I mean, gratitude is very important. A thankless Christian is a contradiction in terms. I mean, it tells us in Philippians, doesn't it? Do everything without complaining. It says, rejoice always. It says, present your requests with thankfulness. Thankfulness is important. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But as I 
dug into this passage, I think that there's a risk that we could end up with a shallow understanding of what true Christian gratitude is if we're not careful. And we can draw a kind of superficial lesson about just the importance of being thankful. Nine of them didn't come back to say thanks, one of them did. There are many people today, even non-Christians, who would talk about the importance of gratitude. There'd be blogs and there would be podcasts about how the attitude of gratitude is really important for our mental health and, and so on. Lots of people get that general point. But there is a deeper and a true Christian thankfulness which is distinctive from that and which I think if we dig in we'll see in this passage more fully. But I'd go slightly further than that. I would suggest that this passage isn't even really only about the importance of gratitude or even mainly about the importance of gratitude. So what is Luke wanting to say and what is Luke doing in this passage? Well, let's start by just remembering one of the key themes of Luke's gospel that we found going recurring right through the gospel. And the theme is insiders and outsiders. Do you remember that so often it's the religious insiders who end, out, end up on the outside and it's the outcasts and outsiders who end up in Jesus' inner circle. The outsiders become the insiders. Now here, we have a little hint of this in verse 11. It tells us that Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, is travelling along the border between Galilee and Samaria. Jesus likes to travel along the margins of society. He's here on the edge between Galilee and Samaria, the Samaritans who are kind of half-Jews, they're not really accepted as proper fully-fledged Jews, they're foreigners, as he describes them even later on, and he's on this journey on the margins between the two uh, uh, societies. And here on the outskirts of a village, there are some lepers, ten lepers, who start crying out for mercy. Now, leprosy would have been uh, a, a word that would describe a variety of different kind of skin uh, diseases and ailments, probably ranging all the way from kind of psoriasis all the way through to what today we might call Hansard's disease, which is a limb-deforming and horrible illness that people, especially in poverty, uh, experience. Today, of course, it can be cured. Uh, since 1981, uh, Hansard's disease can be cured. But then it was seen as a, as a very unclean and a very unsightly and a very unwelcome disease that anybody who had would be considered to be unclean and an outsider. And it was symbolic of the uncleanliness that we have spiritually. And so in Leviticus 13, instructions were given that if anyone had a defiling disease, such a defiling disease, that they must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have the disease, they, are to, they remain unclean and they must live alone. They must live outside the camp. They were outsiders, ostracised, excluded, separated from the worship of God, separated from the community of God's people, socially and spiritually, kind of dead men walking, if you like. And one of them is a Samaritan. 
we read uh, at the end of this passage. And what's quite interesting to notice is that although these people are separated from the rest of society, 10 of them club together to find solace in one another's company. Jews and Samaritans coming together kind of because they have something in common together. William Barclay puts it like this, in the common tragedy of their leprosy, they had forgotten that they were Jews and Samaritans and remembered only that they were men in need. I mean, it's like this, right? Uh, the South Africans and the Australians are normally kind of sworn enemies when it comes to sports. But all of a sudden, they're clubbing, clubbing together because they feel this shared pain together of both being out of the World Cup cricket. And so all of a sudden, they're clubbing together and supporting New Zealand. I mean, what is going on here? Who would have ever thought it could happen? When people have a shared pain, <laughs> they kind of get together and share their pain. And here we have these, these lepers, Samaritans, Jews, group of them, ten of them, together. And they have clumped together to find mutual comfort and consolation and company. And it tells us in verse 13 that they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. And the word there in the Greek, loud voice, is, is phones megales, from which we get the word megaphone. So they are calling in a loud voice. And they're shouting out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master? They're recognising that he has some authority, that he has some power, that he could help. They've heard the sort of things that Jesus has done. They've most likely heard about how, back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus had touched another leper. A radical thing to do, like Princess Diana touching an AIDS victim. Jesus had touched a leper and healed him. Now they're thinking... Jesus, maybe he could touch us and heal us. But what's interesting in the passage is that Jesus does something different with these ten lepers. He doesn't touch them. He treats them uniquely. He treats them as a one-off. You see, it's important that we do understand God treats each of us uniquely and differently. We might think, well, you know, look at, um, I mean, can you imagine the conversation with these lepers in heaven, okay? And, and one of them goes, oh, I'm the Luke 5 leper, the one that Jesus touched. Uh, uh, who are you? And the, other, the others go, well, well, we were the Luke 17 lepers. Uh, yeah, Jesus didn't touch us. And they go, oh, yeah, I know, you know, he didn't touch you, did he? He touched me. Uh, but the thing is, Jesus treats each of us uniquely and differently. Not like the person next to you. You think, oh, what am I going through? And no one else is. But it's because he deals with us. He knows how to handle and deal with us. He, he's sovereign. He is the master. He's described here as master. Master, they say. This story has echoes of an Old Testament account of Naaman. I don't know if any of you remember Naaman, the Syrian, an important, um, trumped up kind of gentleman. And he's got leprosy. And he's told that Elisha, the Israelite, can heal people. And so he goes to Elisha and Elisha sends a message to Naaman and says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And do you remember how Naaman says, 
the Jordan, that's a filthy river. There's plenty of better rivers to swim in than the Jordan. Why do I have to do that? And Naaman's servants say to him, will you not do what God says? And so Naaman does. He dips himself in the water seven times. And as he is doing this, the miracle happens. Once he obeys, he is cleansed. And that's what Jesus does here with these ten lepers. He says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now we can say that sounds like a very strange instruction. We need to understand that the, the priests were the health inspectors of the day. All right. They were not the doctors who would do the healing, but they would inspect people's conditions and issue, if you like, a certificate of cleanliness if they had deemed that someone was clean uh, from uh, leprosy or other illnesses. And then they'd go through some rituals and then they would be able to be reintegrated back in society. And so they were the health inspectors. And... What's happening here is these 10 lepers are told before there's any sign of a healing that they should go and show themselves to the health inspectors, to the priests, even though right now they still have leprosy. It would be a bit like this. Imagine, imagine if you had the dreaded COVID, right? Imagine if you did the test and it was positive and then you were feeling really quite bad and then... You were getting a little bit worried. Breathing was getting a bit worse. And over the days, eventually, you arrange for the doctor to call you because you're getting quite concerned. And the doctor calls you and you explain what's happening. You've you've had another test this morning. It was positive again. And you've got all these horrible symptoms. It's obvious you've clearly got COVID. You know, maybe what should you do? Should you go to hospital? Are you speaking to the doctor? And imagine if the doctor were to say to you, look, I'll wait on the line. You just put the phone to one side and I'd like you to do another COVID test. You're thinking, what is the point? I know that I've got COVID. What is the point of me doing another test? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But imagine if you thought, well, he's the doctor. Better do what he says. And so you you get out the test and, you know, start, you know, doing the old thing in the nostrils. And and then as you're doing the test... (coughs) Breathing's getting better. And then as you carry on, you think, fog's going from my brain. You think, as you carry on and you, you put the drops onto the thing, and you think, ah, my energy's coming back. I'm feeling pretty good, actually. I'm feeling all right. And you carry on, and then the, the thing goes up, and, and there's no line, and it's, it's, it's negative. Just how did that happen? You just, you just got healed as you did the test. And that's what Jesus is doing with these, um, these uh, lepers. He's saying to them, go to the priest and see what happens. It's God's method so often. He, he tests our faith. He says, will you trust and obey? It's a song, isn't there? Trust and obey. There is no other way than to trust and obey. Will you, will you trust what you can see? You can see that you've got leprosy. Or will you trust what you can hear? God's word saying, do this. Will you see what you want to see and do your own thing? Or will you hear what he says and do his thing? Yeah, you know, um, 
Agnes is with us at the moment, and we've had some jokes because I like South Africans, you know, they, they just say things straight as, as they are. Whereas us English, we're impossible, aren't we? We're so polite, uh, and uh, we don't, you know, we skirt around. And when it comes to doors, you know what we're like? We're just, we come, and northerners are also not polite, I don't <laughs> But as you come to doors, I can insult both of them at the same time. This is brilliant. <laughs> um, as, as you come to a door, you know what we're like with English. We kind of say, no, after you. And then they say, no, 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 after you. And then you say, no, really, after you. And no, no, after you. Yeah. Eventually, like, just someone go through the door. All right? And God's like that with us. He kind of says, after you. You go through the door. And you say, no, no, God, it's really after you. And uh, God says, no, no, after you. So, Lord, if you could just go through the door, I'll follow you, okay? God says, I'm not going through the door until you step through the door. And then I'll come through the door. After you, I insist. And... That's what God does. We find it in Luke's Gospel so often. Back in Luke chapter 5, do you remember? There's a lame man. He's lying there on his mat. And Jesus says, get up. Take your mat. Walk home. Well, the whole point is he can't. He got carried by people. He can't carry his mat. But as he does what Jesus says, the miracle happens. And then in Luke 6, there's a man with a withered hand, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. You know, I can't, that's the whole point, my hand is withered. He starts to stretch it out, and the miracle happens as he does what he's told to do. We find that there's a widow's son in Luke 7, who's, who's dead. And Jesus says to him, young man, I say to you, get up. <laughs> well, he's not exactly able to do that, is he? But there's something, the command itself contains the power which, when acted upon, leads to the full-grown miracle. That's how God works. You know, God might say to you, look, I, I want you to become a Christian. And you're sitting there and thinking, well, I want a miracle first. And he says, no, I want you to stand up and come forward and pray a prayer and give your life to me and then the miracle will happen. It won't happen. He insists. He says, no, after you. I'll follow you. You go first. And then it'll happen. I remember when uh, we as a church were thinking about, um, we were in Odium and we were feeling led to start a congregation here in Church Crookham. And we found the building and uh, we, we thought, have we got the money? No. Have we got the people to run a, a second congregation? No, we haven't. Can we do this, humanly speaking? It's going to be really tough, really difficult. But is God telling us to do it? Yes, he is. Unanimously, elders, yeah, he's saying it. Okay, we're doing it. So God says, after you, start the meetings. And then wonderful things have been happening. And, and it's a delight and a joy to see God growing a congregation here in Church Crookham. I wonder if there's anything God's telling you to do. Trust and obey. Is there something he's saying? I want you to just trust me. Obey. And then I will open the door for you. I will follow you through the door. One commentator says this. It is as we go on the commanded road 
that we experience the commanded blessing. Folks, let the church obey the commands of the Lord Jesus. So, as they went, it says in verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. And you can imagine what happens. Imagine if you had been the ones speaking to the doctor, and then imagine if the doctor, if you had then just slammed the phone down without telling the doctor what's happened to you and run off to your friends and live your life and think, hey, I'm free of COVID. And the doctor's thinking, what happened? <laughs> and that's what these nine do. They, they go to the priests, they get healed as they go, and they never come back to Jesus and say, "What, Jesus, look what you've done. But one of them does. It says in verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, a megaphone voice. He praises God again. It looks like he didn't even make it to the priests. He turned back. He ran back full of gratitude to Jesus. Now, at this point, we could say, okay, so now our lesson about gratitude is here. But it says Jesus was disappointed that the others didn't return. I would want to suggest to you that the others were surely grateful in a general sense that they had been healed of leprosy. I mean, who wouldn't be? They would have been extremely pleased. They would have gone to the priest, done the rituals, got their certificate, and then grabbed hold of life with both hands. They would have made the most of their new freedom. They would have caught up on lost time. They would have said, we've got people to see, places to go, things to do. We're happy. We're grateful for what's happened to us. Surely they would have been grateful. You know, there's many non-Christians who are kind of happy and have a positive disposition and might be even grateful. I mean, today there might be people running marathons and as they finish their marathon, they're ecstatic. You'll see them ecstatic as they finish. Last night, there, there would have been people at bonfire parties all over the country and there, there would be oohs and ahs and, and celebrations and applause and everything. People are happy because people are grateful. People are just generally grateful about things and that's great, of course, that's a good thing. But that's different from Christian gratitude and Christian worship. Neither, I would suggest, is it just that we thank God. These people, uh, this man comes back and he said he's praising God as he comes back to Jesus. And there are people who thank God. There's even celebrities, you know, who say, I thank God everything okay but even that is not true christian worship what is true christian worship it's what this man does verse 16 it says he threw himself at jesus feet and thanked him that's christian gratitude that's true worship you see, the vague gratitude to divinity is not an adequate response to what God has done. Christ wants our hearts. He wants our personal devotion to him. And this man's worship is wholehearted, personal 
Christ-centered, Christological devotion. He falls on his face before Jesus. He sees what the others hadn't seen. He sees Jesus, that somehow God in Jesus has healed him, that saved him. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And that, that word there, it means whole salvation. He's, he's not just had his body healed, but he's had his, his life restored. He, he's seen Jesus and he worships Jesus. And of course, the ironic thing is that he is a Samaritan. He's an outsider twice over. Not only a leper, but also a foreigner. He's one of the lonesome, the lowly, and the left out. And yet he, the outsider, sees Jesus and comes right in to the inner circle. The others go off and have their rituals. This man has a relationship with Jesus. The tragedy is the others, though they were visited, they did not recognise the time of their visitation. They did not recognise who this person was. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But, but, though, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave it right to become the sons of God. This man believed in him and was saved more fully. Not only a sound body, but a saved soul. A man who could say at the end, it is well, it is well with my soul, because he's encountered Christ. So may I ask us, as we come to respond, may I invite us to trust and to obey what he says. So any area where you need to just do that afresh, I need to say, I don't see it, but I hear it. I hear what he's telling me. I trust him. So you make him truly your master, not just a master in words as we sing of him as our master, but a master in our lives as we submit to him, as we bow before him, as we fall at his feet, as we worship him, we too can know that it is well with our souls because we're safe in his hands we're walking with him so can we can we pray can we respond can we come and respond to him in worship and i'll ask Jono to come and just help us to do that if you'd like to come forward Jono, that'd be great in the band i think as well Thank you.